Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? November 1st. Here we go. Man, I get suntan in this stuff. This is delicious. This is so good. Man, and those that are joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for tuning in. And we know that God's got a word right for you where you're sitting as well. We're so glad that you came to join us. And, uh, you know, I just this, uh, on Friday night, we had our youth encounter night. And it was, it was great. We had a good turnout of kids because we weren't able to advertise it as effectively as we wanted to just because of certain situations. And, uh, and the result that we had, a, we had a good number of kids that came out, and I think there was eight that received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, which is great. We're happy for everyone that came in. That's awesome. And a cute little grade seven girl won the $600 prize. I asked her, I said, what are you going to do with all that? Like, do you even, what do you do with that? <laughs> she wouldn't share it, so I moved on quick. That was it. But, uh, and then last week, I know, man, Jamie had a powerful word. I listened to that online. That was good stuff. So I hope you're not disappointed. It's, it's me today. I know. I wish it was Jamie again, because, man, she girl can teach. But uh, we're glad that you're here. And I want to share some things with you again that were just been stirring regarding encounter. And I'm going to take, again, a couple minutes, because I really want to emphasize some things that are just strong in me for this. But again, the word encounter and what is that all for? Because the Lord told us that this year that we are to expect, we are to prepare our hearts, and we are to create an environment for encounters to happen. And again, I want to just go over this because, you know what, for us church, it's time to press on. Because, you know, all the songs that we are singing, we can sing it as a church and we go, yeah, you know, praise God for that we are the redeemed ones. But I also want you to get a two-fold side of that. Not only you were the, the church, meaning you've been the bought ones paid out by Jesus' blood. Yes, but you, also, you are also here as the enforcer of God's mandate on this earth. So when you start proclaiming and singing things, you can sing it from a perspective of, you know, I'm trying to sing upward. But I also want you to get the emphasis that we could also sing it downward because we're also the enforcers in this earth. We are the victorious ones to bring across the will of God on this earth. It's a higher thought, higher mentality. So when you praise and you say like, man, every heart will adore or every bone will sing, however that song goes, whatever we were saying. But you could also sing it from that perspective that, man, we're here to accomplish a purpose and a vision. And it, it comes from a bit of a higher perspective and standard. We're here to enforce. Everybody say enforce. We're not here to passively sit and wonder. We're here to enforce an agenda. Are you aware of that? No media, no people are going to, you know, the devil's not going to enforce anything on the church. Jesus even said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So what are we here? We are here to penetrate this earth. Oh, I get, we're getting a little rowdy this morning. All right, we're here to penetrate. We're here to take this thing over. So, all right. So what do we do? It's time that we press in. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. And just in regarding, I'm going to just take a couple minutes just to catch everybody up to what we've been talking about. But I just had this on my heart that because of encounters, we actually get a promotion in our relationship with the Lord, moving from servants to friends. And I want to go into that a little bit because God needs some friends. Did you know that? Okay, awesome. We'll get into that. So let's go here. So we've been talking these past couple weeks, and I know Jamie did that last week as well, but regarding God needs access to us. And his access point is what? Our heart. Now we'll look at this again, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And if anything, how does he get closer to me? How do I get closer to him? And how does he take a step closer to me? First, we talked about, we realized that my hunger is up to me. If I'm going to be hungry for the things of God, nobody is in charge of my hunger except for myself. So you are as hungry for God as you'll ever be unless you make a change. Right? And maybe you're like, maybe you're just, you know, Jesus shirt, Jesus underwear, Jesus socks. Maybe you're just hungry for Jesus. But did you know there's another level yet? 
Yeah, and maybe you're just like, eh, I'm not really quite sure about this whole thing. Well, guess what? There's another step for you. You can, you can have as much of God as you want. In Romans 12, 11, it says this, be enthusiastic. We say enthusiastic. enthusiastic. To serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him. How hot? Boiling. boiling. Everybody say boiling. boiling. Man, so when you came in this morning, you, you know, whatever you do, you elbow, you high five, you foot five, whatever it is. But see, people can feel the burn off you. I'm boiling hot for him. So that I don't have to wait for four songs in. I'm my prime. I'm, I'm already pumped, ready to go. But the moment that guitar is brung, my hands go. Right? Isn't it worse? I mean, as those that have led worship and done worship, nothing worse than you're leading a group of people. And after the third song, now they get into it and then you're done. Isn't that sad? Tote sad. Is that what you just said? Tote sad. Cheryl, you're very hip. You're very hip. Keep your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Now, again, the importance of my hunger for God. Hunger for God is actually the safest place for me to live. If I stay hungry for God in a continual basis, it's safe for me in order, you know, so my flesh doesn't speak out and flesh have its own way. My hunger for God keeps me from doing stupid things. That's a good place to be. Because you see somebody who's hungry for God, you'll never find them in bed with another spouse. <gasps> Did he just say that? Yeah, you say that. But how come you see some of these big time, you know, ministers or people that have done that? And even Christians that have gone out and, you know, they had an affair. What happened? They didn't keep the switch on. They let the switch click off and they didn't remember to flick it back on. And that could be through bitterness, through offense, through some kind of hurt or disappointment. If you don't intentionally flick your own switch, you'll just come to a simmer. So your hunger is up to you. And the standard that for all believers is hot, boiling hot. So when you see somebody passionate for Jesus, don't think they're extreme. Think that's normal. That's the norm. When you get an experience with God, you can't help but catch fire and just, oh, I want all that he's got. Whenever you see somebody like literally on fire, they do crazy things. Why? They're trying to, well, for one thing, they're trying to get it off. But if you think about it, for us that we burn, we're trying to keep this thing on. And not only this, but we talked about this last, last time, Psalm 103. But the state of our city is in the hands of hungry people. Now, cities is God, God's idea. Mayors, governments, that's God's idea. But he never designed for the city of Red Deer, for the province of Alberta, for the nation of Canada to be at the hands of the enemy. Who are they to be in the hands of? The church, or not just that, hungry people. So Psalm 103, I had it on the screen, and then it decided to leave. So if you guys can find that one again, if not, let's just turn there for a moment. I want to show you these verses. Psalm 107 actually is the verse. I said Psalm 103. There it is. Thank you, guys. I probably did that to you. Verse 33, it says, He changes rivers into deserts, springs of water into dry, thirsty land. That's not good. Look at verse 34. He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. Now, but he also turns deserts into pools of water and dry land into springs of water. He brings the... Come on. He brings the... To settle there and to build their cities. Now, this isn't talking about those that are hungry and, you know, have famished and can't barely walk. He's talking about those that have a craving for God. He brings them there to establish and to build cities. So the city of Red Deer is not up to whosoever. It's up to hungry ones. Not about you, but I'm going to turn my switch on because I want to call the shots in this city. All right. 
Verse 37, it says, they sow their fields. Again, these hungry people, they plant their vineyards and harvest their bumper crops. 38, oh, how he blesses them. They raise large families there and their herds of livestock increase. That's hungry people. Everybody say hunger. Hunger, and this is why the Lord's even talking about an encounter. Because when you get a glimpse or taste and see that the Lord is good, what do you want? You want more. When you taste pizza or the doner from that doner shop that's a hole in the ground by, what's that shot, man? That, when you taste it? Oh, no, that's, I think it's Pizza Paradise and Donaire or something like that. It's a hole in the wall by y'all. That is the best doner I've ever had. And what happens when you get a taste of it? My mouth is watering a little bit. That's where we're going right after church. What is it you want more? But when you taste Jesus, what happens? You want more. And so what we're talking about is giving him access to that. The next thing we talk about is making room for God. And Jamie made this point last week. I want what I want, but I want what I have. What do you want? For me, it's a desire. I want a relationship with the Lord stronger and deeper than ever. So what does it mean? I might have to let go of some things that I have because I want what I want is, is causing me and driving me to go there. My passion is forcing me. It's driving me. Thirdly, what we talked about a couple weeks ago is now guarding our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, So above all, everybody say above all. Above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. So God intended for you and I as spirit beings, now that we're born again spirit beings, we are to flow from that inner man. Life is to flow from this inner man. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, of course, stuff happens to us. There's things that are out of our control that we have no control over, but the result is what's happening on the inside will direct my foot, my path, in such a way depending on what's going on, on the inside of me. The pressures, whatever. Somebody comes against me in a kind of nasty way. Well, what's coming up on the inside of me is really what's going to come out of me, and it's going to set me on a course. So you're, maybe you are where you are in your life because of what's going on on the inside of you. No government is in control of that. No parent is in control of that. I mean, we're here to shape hearts, absolutely, as, as little ones. But over time, you are the gardener of your own heart. you got to protect it. Right? My mom doesn't come over and all of a sudden check to see what I'm watching on TV. All of a sudden, I get a text, you know, Hey, Joel, what are you doing? What are you watching right now? Oh, it'll probably be uh, Rocky tonight because I'm going to watch Rocky IV. <clears throat> I had a thing going on it for a little bit. But I'm in charge of my own heart. Whatever I'm watching, whatever I'm listening to, whatever I'm seeing gets access into my heart. So what has access to your heart? Because if it's CNN or if it's even Fox News, if you're constantly watching all these things, it's getting down on the inside of you. And if you're not putting enough word on the inside, fear will creep up. And that is the poison of the entire human race right now is fear. It's fear, 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 fear. Now, okay, now what we want to talk a little bit about this day is encounters with God transform our relationship with Jesus. An encounter with God, an experience with God, what is the purpose behind it? It's to change your relationship with him. And Jesus gave the disciples, man, he gave them a promotion. And I want you to see this in John 15, verse 15. He said this, I'm no longer calling you servants, because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. So what we see right here, there is a promotion that took place. <laughs> and they came from a servant to friend and the two are very different. 
Now let's look at these. If you go, okay, we're going to take, take some time to go over this. But a servant, the clear, you know, just a simple definition of the word servant, is a person who performs duties for others. That's what a servant is. Now according to what Jesus just said here, let's look at this. Servants, they don't know what the master is planning or doing. Right, you see that? Who doesn't know what the master's doing? Servants. Now also, they don't experience the intimate knowledge that is in the Father's heart. Now thirdly, servants really are task-oriented. Their greatest focus is obedience, rightly so, because that's how they gauge success. I was told to do something. I did it. I got it. Success. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But then what happened to the disciples, they, got, they moved from servants being told always, do this, do that, do this. And they were just servants occupying and doing things. They transitioned over from servant to now friend. Now what's a friend? Again, the definition of a friend is simply this. A person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond or a mutual affection. Can you see there's a difference right there? Now I want to just look at this. A friend, the main focus of a friend is not to obey. And of course, obedience. Is obedience going to always be important in the Christian life? Absolutely. In fact, if you look at the verse prior to this, John 15, 14, he said, you are my friends if you continue doing what I tell you. So obedience is always there. But the motivation behind a friend is not obedience. It's disappointment. I don't want to disappoint him. It's different. I don't want to just, okay, i got to obey because, you know, God said it. And if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. It, it changes from servant to friend. I don't want to disappoint him. Now let's talk a little bit about the thing that just took place here. Friends are less concerned about disobeying as they are with disappointing, as I just said. But the disciples shift focus from commandments. I mean, think about it for a minute. These disciples, what did they grow up hearing? The Torah. Right? They heard the, five, the, five, the first five books in the, in the Old Testament. They maybe memorized them. They maybe heard them. The students in that time in the, in the Hebrew culture, they knew the law of Moses, which was the Ten Commandments that they nailed it down to, but really the 613 of them. So what did they know? Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not whatever. And the list goes on and on and on. Honor your father and father. All those lists that go on. And now all of a sudden, now Jesus says, I've moved you from servant to a friend. So what just took place? You've got you to really think of this. These guys are grained in Jewish culture. They're grained in Jewish religion. And now Jesus said, I've called you friend. So what happened in that three-year time? Not only did they just see Jesus do amazing things, but something transpired in the relationship. Thoughts started to change in them. They moved from commandments to presence. Now their presence of Jesus focused. They moved then now from assignment to relationship. And lastly, they also moved from what I do for him to how my, effect, my, how my decisions affect him. Can you see the change? Friendship. Everybody say friendship. friendship. And this is one thing that I'm craving in my, in my inner man. I want to be a friend of God. And you can see that in, old, in a couple of places in the Old Testament. Moses talked to God as a friend talks to a friend. Abraham was called the friend of God. This is big stuff. Now, there are many paradigm shifts that take place inside of us when we move from servant to friend. And the first one is this. As friends... What we know changes. What we know changes. And Ephesians, uh, John chapter 8, you can turn there in your Bible for a second. I don't know if I have it on the screen. But now that I have access to the Father's heart, now again, we're talking as friends. And what did Jesus say? Servants, they don't know 
what the master is planning and doing, right? But now I've called you friends because I've let you in on everything that the father's doing. So now what is a paradigm shift that's happened on the inside of me when I move from servant to friend? What I know changes, meaning this, that now because I have intimate access to the father's heart, I get intimate access into what God's thinking. And this is where you find John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. This is where freedom is experienced. Right? Jesus said those to the Jews who believed in him. Everybody say believed in him. They believed in him, so Jesus said, when you continue, everybody say continue. continue. When you continue to embrace all that I teach, what happens? You prove that you are my true followers. And then he says, for if you embrace the truth, embrace the truth. Everybody say embrace the truth. Embrace. When you embrace it, what will happen? It will release freedom into your lives when you're embracing the truth. And if you actually look kind of on the, the, the sub-verse to this, it says, Jesus is speaking these words to those who were not fully free from men's traditions. Truth must be embraced and worked out through the divine process of spiritual maturity. And the Greek word for truth is actually reality. So to embrace the reality of Christ brings more freedom into your life. That's good news. So what happens when I cross over from servant to friend? I, the, what happens on the inside of me, the change, is I actually get more intimate knowledge in who Jesus is. I get to know not only that, I get to know the plans that he has. I get to know what he wants to do in this city. I think that's exciting. Now, rather than just, you know, hoping and praying that something changes in our nation, now God wants to use you, and I'm going to get into that a little bit, but slow down, Joel. Let's just go over this. Number two, as friends, our experience changes. Because what's just taken place now, because his heartbeat now has become my heartbeat, so there's a shift on the inside of me. The presence of God is my greatest treasure, and per personal encounters with him are markers in my life. Exodus chapter 33, this is what uh, Moses said to, to God before they were going to go into the promised land. And Moses said this in verse 15. Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. That is a big statement. Because you know what? They've just been in the desert for years. And what is he telling God? God, I'm not going in there unless you're going with us. I don't want to go in there. What, what changed? Were all the Israelites, just get me into that land of milk and honey. That's all I want. I want to do a cannonball in that milk pool. That would be amazing. All the grapes were size of basketballs. Are you kidding me? I get full off of one grape? Give me that stuff. But what was different about Moses? Moses didn't just want what God could give him. Moses wanted God. And that's a huge difference. What's the difference between a servant and a friend? Servants are looking for benefits. Friendship is looking for, I want the relationship. Because when you get the relationship, you get all the stuff. So my greatest passion in life is not the stuff, it's him. When I get him, I get it all. <laughs> so Moses' words were so powerful, man. He said, Lord God, I'm not going in that promise. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how thick that honey is. I'm not going in it unless you are coming with me. And then, because he finished up with saying it this way, how will anyone know, verse 16, guys, thank you down there, you're doing awesome. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on this earth. What separates us from the rest of the world? Presence. Not the stuff that we have. Those are just simply advertisements of the goodness of God. 
Thank God for all the stuff that he's given us. I'm thankful for it, but that's not why I serve him. I serve him because he gives me intimate insight into who he is and not only who he is, but who he is in me and who I am in him. And that leads me to the next part. Friends, what's the difference that happened there? As friends, the function of our life changes. Functions in life change. Everybody say, when my life changes, my functions, everything about me, it changes. Where I once was so passionate about soccer and getting into this and doing that. I remember I, you know, after sharing my testimony to a few people, they go, did you ever have any backlash realizing that your soccer career was done? Not at all. The Lord completely covered all that. Why? Because I got him. I got him. It didn't matter anymore. So whatever it is for you, God is well able to take care of anything that you're maybe missing out on. He'll take care of it. Moreover than you ever think. Instead of working for him, now we are working with him. Again, talking from servants to friendship. Rather than I'm working for God, now I'm working with God. Rather than working for his favor or for his blessing, I'm working from his favor and I'm working from his blessing. It's a completely different mindset. You know, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3.9. He says that... Um, in the, in the Passion, he says, we are co-workers. We are both God's workers. That's what we do. We are co-workers with God. Everybody say, co-workers. co-workers. What is a co-worker? <laughs> Anybody ever introduced somebody that maybe, you, you know, went out for lunch or somebody, and hey, this, oh, this is my co-worker. What are you saying? This is a guy that I work with. I work side by side with. We do a certain task to get a job done together. Well, that's what God, that's how he wants to introduce you and I. This is my fellow co-worker. He doesn't want to just say, oh, this is my slave. Here's my servant. He just does whatever I want. God's not looking for servants. He's got those. Those are angels. They do stuff for him. They're supposed to do stuff for us. They're servants. He doesn't want you as a servant. He wants to promote you into friendship. And what's friendship? Friendship now is we work together. We work together. Everybody say, together. So God is not just doing things, you know, from his sovereign place and however it happens, happens. Maybe I'll just interject this here. Sometimes we have to get a, maybe a different mindset of the will of God. Sometimes we think of the will of God is so, <clears throat> this is it, that's it, that's done. Did you know that it's a lot more fluid than you think? Not when it comes to the promise of God. That is yes and amen. Those are sealed in the blood of Jesus regarding the promises of God concerning your healing, your joy, your blessing. All of that is done. But when it comes to the working out on this earth, did you know that it's pretty fluid? God never desired for you and I, all of a sudden, just to kind of be robots. And whatever he says, okay, that's just what we do. He wants to work with us in carrying out his will. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. You know, I, I heard this, this phrase. I gotta, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself here. That's okay. Uh, there's this quote. I want to read it to you. It says, uh, from a gentleman named Jack Taylor. He's an, an older minister. He said, God is so secure in his sovereignty that he is not afraid to appear unsovereign. <laughs> He's okay. So what does he want to do? He wants to use you and I, and I'm not going to get into the example yet, but he wants to use you and I to help carry out his will. The will of God is just as much a process as it is an actual event or a fact. You ever thought about that? Well, there, there's a thought. Number four, as friends, we live now out of our true born-again identity because how many know our identity sets the tone for all we are and all that we become? As a friend of God, I don't care what other people think about me or say about me. Why? Because I'm confident in who my friend calls me. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Remember that verse? 
In him we and move. I like the passion says, it is through him that we live. It's through him that I function. It's through him that I have my identity. My identity is not wrapped up in what I do. My identity is not wrapped up in who I'm married to, what kids I have, what job I have. My, adapt, my identity, first of all, is in him. And the result of my identity, this is now I'm life, is now flowing up from this place. Can you see the difference in that? Okay. So now, a classic example of these two different mentalities, of course, is seen in t- with, between two sisters, Mary and Martha. Let's talk about Mary and Martha for a sec. Everybody go to Luke chapter 10. Let's look at verse 38. And I want to kick her, maybe a religious cow in the face this morning, and we'll see what happens with it. But it says right here, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. We all know this. We all know these verses, right? Okay, so let's just... Bring them up again for your remembrance. Verse 40, Martha became exasperated. You know what exasperated means? Whoo, she ain't happy. She is not a happy lady at this time. By finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests, she's ticked off. Imagine her sweeping. Stupid Mary. All these people come over to my house, and there she is sitting like an idiot, just looking at Jesus, just sitting at his feet. Just sit, sit, sit. Can you hear her? She's angry. So she interrupted Jesus. I always think that's so funny. She, what did she do? Interrupted the king of kings, God himself. She interrupted him and said, Lord, don't you think <laughs> it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself. You should tell her, oh, man, Martha, I'm going to slap Martha. Don't you think, first of all, Jesus, don't you think that this is wrong? Secondly, you should maybe tell my sister to get up And help me. Now verse 41. The Lord answered, Martha, my beloved Martha. (laughs) Can you hear the grace coming out? I mean, Jamie, she showed a couple of those chosen, the the clips from last week. I I really enjoy the character of Jesus in that film. I think they do a really good job of kind of expressing Jesus from other places you've seen, more with a personality. Because sometimes you see those other Jesus movies and Jesus talks in King James Version and it's just very... For I so love the world that God gave his only son, and so here I am. Hither, tither, thither. Bless you. And he moves on. It's like Jesus has a personality. Like there, he was fun. He was fun. You know, just, just this thought that I've been having, you know, when it says that Jesus is a friend of sinners, our first thought is Jesus eats with sinful people. Great. I actually have a different thought on that a little bit now. Jesus, Jesus a um, friend of sinners... I think people were just attracted to him because of the joy that he had. It's not that he just sat with bad people and go, okay, I'm just eating with you guys just for, you know, can I get a, you know, get a couple pictures or selfies with you guys just to show you that I'm reaching out. 100 likes. You know, he's not doing that. But I think it's because of his genuine joy that people were drawn to who he was. That kids loved him? What is it about this man? He must have been a lot of fun. Anyways, that's just for there. But he says, Martha, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you so upset and troubled? These are good questions to ask. Even all of a sudden, maybe you find yourself sweeping one morning. I found myself doing that this past. I swept three times the other day. 
three times in a period of an hour. Oh, yeah, it's, it was horrible. Why do you keep eating stuff all over the floor? No more food for anybody for the rest of the day. You're done. But, Papa, no butts. Clean it up. Anyway, I'm fine. I don't have to vent. I'm good. But why are you upset and troubled, Joel? Because they don't know how to eat Triscuits. That's why. <laughs> I'm done giving my kids Triscuits. It's, it's done. Just crackers in general. I'll find something that's just... Yeah. Well, if you guys have any ideas, hook me up. Marshmallows, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, Mary, Martha, Martha, Joel, why are you so upset and troubled? Pulled away. Now, notice, that word. notice just the wording. Pulled away by all these many distractions. Are they really that important? Okay, look at verse 42. Mary, now notice, these are the words of Jesus. The Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and, it won't, and I won't take this privilege from her. Now, let's just go over this a little bit here. But Mary, she chose to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. So Mary sought to please him by being with him. Martha chose to busy herself in the kitchen or doing things that needed to get done for all of her guests. Mary, or sorry, Martha sought to please Jesus by doing something for him. There's a difference. Okay, Martha became jealous, told Jesus what to do, how to help her. But servants will often try to get friends to leave their posts and get involved in works to justify their work's ability. Just a thought. Do with it what you want. <laughs> But Jesus' response again is vital. Mary has chosen the most important thing. Martha was making sandwiches that Jesus never asked for. Never asked for. Never asked for that Nutella sandwich. What are you doing? And on the other hand, there's a statement that is often said, we need both Mary's and Martha's to get the job done. You ever heard that before? You ever heard that before? Well, I've heard that. And I want to just share this. Just a thought with this is this, that statement is simply not true because that statement comes from servants who are intimidated by the lifestyle of a friend of God. Of course, Mary worked. Of course she did. But what she didn't, Mary didn't work for his presence. Mary worked from his presence. She made sandwiches that Jesus asked for. Lovers of God are still workers, but here's the thing. Lovers actually get more done. Because a lot of times, what do workers do? They hide behind their work because they're actually intimidated by opening themselves up to God. If you're not willing to go to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my heart, and get access, so what do we do? We busy ourselves with busyness so that the Lord can't get in. Because what does he want to do? He wants to go in there, shed some light on that, so you can see maybe I've been bound in something for years that needs changing. Let him in. But it's so easy to get caught up in doing for God that you forget being with him. And that's the first call. In the scripture, you see the primary call of the New Testament church is to be with him first. And from my being, now I can be a husband. From my being, I'm now a dad. From my being with him, I pastor this church. Imagine if I pastored it out of just doing things for God. I would burn out. This place would burn out. And slowly, we just burn out. But if I do it, if I get my proper priorities in place, if I'm doing it not just for his presence, I do it from his presence, it changes everything. And our experience in life becomes that much greater. That's the difference between a servant and a friend. 
We all good still? Okay. And here's the thing. Friendship is available. Look at this, Psalm 25, 14. It says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. What does that mean? A deep reverence or respect or awe for him. He wants to be your friend. But it's got to be proper. He's not just the big guy upstairs. If I want to, and he says, he teaches them his covenant. If I want to know the deep, intimate heart of God, from the word of God, seeing all that God has for me, let this word not just become head knowledge, but it becomes active heart knowledge where I'm applying it in my life. It starts with me reverencing God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, that the foundation of all knowledge is the fear of the Lord. This is where it begins. Actually, the message, Bob, I like the way it says it. The message says, starting with God is the greatest thing. Get on your knees before him. Everything in life starts with him. So find your place. You need answers in life. What do I do? I find myself on my knees before God so that he can point something out that I need to see. That's where it begins. This is where it all starts. Friend of God. The Passion Bible says it like this. There's a private place reserved. I like that. There's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Guys, that's a, if you go, go to, again, Proverbs 25, 14 in the Passion. But I want you to see this. A private place reserved. A private place reserved. There is a place in God with, you, with a chair in it that's got your name written all over it. It is for you to take that nobody else can take but you. There's a place. I remember this was a few years ago now. I had a, I had, we had a couple of guest ministers were here. And they actually had a, a word for me. They kind of said it to me in private, which I, you know, fine. And one of the, the, what it was was actually talking about, Joel, there's a seat that God needs you to occupy. There's a seat he needs you to take. And from that seat, he wants to reveal intimate secrets with you that nobody has ever heard. And I'm like, oh, great, giddy up. But that's for every human being. There's a, spe- there's a special spot in God that the devil can't go that only you can get access to. Because of your unique relationship with the Father. I got unique relationships with all my kids. Why? Because they're all different. They're all unique. Not one of them are the exact same. So what do I do? I have to figure out, I mean, for myself, I have to know them uniquely. I love them all, not the same. I love them all uniquely. I don't love Jace the same that I love Max. Why? Because they're two different kids. So what do I do? I love them uniquely. Well, the Father's the same way, and he has a place reserved for you and I that you got to sit in so he can share. It says this in the Passion that he can uh, share his revelation secrets of his promise. There's stuff he wants to show you. But who gets it? Friends. Friends get it. Now, why does God need friends? And this is, I want to just kind of reemphasize this again. But we usually think of the will of God as something static, fixed and unchangeable. And the element missing in our understanding of this subject is the role of the unfolding of his will how it unfolds, how it comes out. When God was going to absolutely destroy, if you actually go there for a moment, go to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14, and it says this. um, Look at verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long... Oh, you guys are good down there. You're showing off. I see that. Okay. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs that I have done for them? Verse 12. Guys, we're going to read for a little bit, so if you want to follow. He says, I will disown them 
and destroy them with a plague. Woo! Who's upset? God's a little upset. He says, I will disown them. <laughs> you ever said that to your kids? You don't have to feel bad. God said the exact same thing. <laughs> and destroy them with a plague. And he said, then I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they are. Moses objected, verse 13. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it, he asked the Lord. They know full well that the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Now, if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of the land. And you kind of go down and you actually read all the things that God did for the nation of Israel. But what's the most amazing thing is, it's not that God changed his mind. The most amazing thing is, is that God actually consulted and really was expecting Moses to step in and work with God in actually coming out with the outcome for how, the, how it's going to look for the Israelites. That's the amazing part. It's not that God changed his mind. What's the amazing thing is that God actually talked to Moses as a man talks to his friend, and they discussed the will of God and how it was going to turn out. Are you hearing? That is amazing. We see the same thing with Abraham. What happened with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah? What did Abraham do? He said, he, like, Lord, I mean, please, you know, let, let me just speak. Don't, don't be angry with me, but if there's 50 righteous... Would you destroy that city with 50 righteous people? You're going to kill these 50 good people along with all these wicked people? Surely, Lord, that's not, that's not part of who you are. God said, if there's 50, I won't do it. He brought them down, 45, 40, 30, and he went all the way down to 10. And God still said, Moses, or sorry, Abraham, yeah, if there's 10 righteous people, I will not do it. This is the amazing thing. And what is God looking for? A friend. Why? Because he wants a friend to actually talk about what the city of Red Deer is going to look like. Isn't that cool? What does he want to do with the nation of Canada? He's not just got, God's got a kind of a wand and, well, this is what's going to take place. Ba -da 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 -da. No. He wants to talk to a friend to discuss what the nation is going to look like. That's what he wants to do. How, not only that, how is God going to get into your job? He wants to do the same thing. God needs a friend. He's looking for friendship. Right? Why? So that he can discuss how the job is going to look. How the business is going to work out. What are the people you're going to have around? That's what God wants to do. And who does he talk to? Friends, because servants don't know what God's doing or planning. But what do, what do friends do? Friends know exactly what God's planning and what he's thinking. Let's just turn to this last verse here in, uh, in Genesis. I want just to look down at verse uh, 17 through 19 in Genesis 18. Just to show you what God is looking for. <laughs> God is so secure in his sovereignty that he is not afraid to appear unsovereign. Man, I like that. I just think that's powerful. But Genesis chapter 18, I'm going to finish with this here. Genesis 18, 17 through 19. In the New King James, if you guys don't mind, New King James Version. This is actually what the Lord said. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Am I going to hide it from him? Because he says, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him. Verse 19, I love these words that God says, I have known him. I know him. That's what is that? That's intimate relationship. The common denominator that you see with men and women of God, used throughout the Old Testament, into the New Testament, into this present day, what's the common denominator? Is that they were friends of God, and the result is, is that they were part of call, calling out and actually laying out the will of God on, on this earth. How come the Nazis were destroyed in World War II? Do you think it just kind of randomly happened and, you know, God just, okay, I'm going to only let it last till 1945. Like, 
do we just kind of think God is just playing little games up there? Okay, six-year war. Ha, ha, ha. Let's get that and let's, let's see what, how much damage can get done and people will call on me then. Is there some kind of tyrant up there doing that? No, he needs a man. He needs a woman. He needs somebody to work with. And actually, I remember being, I remember when I was younger, we got an opportunity to go to these camp meetings. And there's a gentleman, Kenneth E. Hagan, who was a prophet of God, who passed away in 2003. But his book, The Authority of the Believer, went across into the German area, into you know, parts of Europe. That book came in there, and actually not only did it take down the, the, the Berlin Wall, is that correct? Am I, it was involved in the, the communism teardown. But all of these things, you think it just kind of randomly happens? No, God needs a friend. He wants to, when you're sitting in your chair, when you're sitting at home on your couch, he wants to start talking to you about the deep intimacies of what's going on in the world. There's things that have to get done. There's people that have to be reached. There's things, there's businesses that have to turn around. There's a lot of junk that's going out there. But here's the thing. God needs you and I. He needs us. He desires us. And if we get close and intimate with him, guess what? He's going to start talking to us about the nation, about our city, about our province. However local or big you can think, you, you go there. Maybe he wants to talk to you about even your own family. Where does it begin? Friendship. Okay, God, what do I do about this? No, he wants to ask, actually, what do you think? Listen, we've been given from God blank checks. If you look, all of the, John 14, 15, 16, it's all tied around this friendship mindset. And there's some verses and some powerful scriptures that Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. You abide in me and these words abide with you. Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done. Jesus said, you haven't asked in my name, John 16. You haven't asked anything in my name. Ask now that you may receive and that your joy may be full. What's he doing? God's actually exposing. He's actually coming to the place where he's going to you saying, what do you need? What do you want? Rather, we keep going, God, what do, you, what do you want, God? Listen, when you start fellowshipping with him and start connecting with him, what happens in that? The desires of God's heart come into my heart. And so this is actually a thing that's really been helping me in the last little bit. Because sometimes I'm more on the side of, I really have to think things through. I really, okay, God, Lord, Lord I don't want to miss it. God, am I, am I missing this? Am I, am I in the wrong place? I'll overthink it. You know what? Have anybody ever do that before? God, is this right? I, am, am I supposed to move? Do I not move? Do I stay? Do I go? Where, God, what do I do? And then I overthink it, overthink it, and then nothing gets done. And so what's actually helped me a lot in this is just understanding this, the word desire if you actually look it up, the word desire means comes from a father. So when you have a desire, whether you're fellowshipping with the father or you're fellowshipping with the enemy, there are desires that are birthed from your fellowship. When you are desiring or you're fellowshipping with the enemy, what happens? You are desiring what the enemy wants. If you are hosting or holding inside of you bitterness, anger, rage, and you start thinking, man, I, did God get that person back yet? Did he revenge what they did to me? What are you doing? You're actually bringing about a desire that you have because you've been fellowshipping with the wrong spirit. And what's the result? This is what's going on the inside of the desires of your heart. God can't do that. But if I start fellowshipping with him around his word, around spending time praying in the spirit, just being around him, guess what happens? Thoughts, ideas, just desires come on the inside of me. And where do they come from? From the one that I'm fellowshipping with. His desires now become my desires. How do I get that? By just spending time with him. And what I've been actually finding out what's been helpful for me is actually the Lord actually just showing that to me just this past week. When I give you a desire, just go with it. Okay. 
Because, Lord, I, don't want, I want to be on the right time. And, of course, timing is right. And the Lord will lead you in that. But if there's things in your heart because you've been fellowshipping with him, go for it. We need some good desires being birthed out of us. And I believe this. This is why I think people were so thrilled being around Jesus. Because Jesus, when he said this, when your desires are fulfilled, when your prayers are being answered, there's no greater joy than seeing a prayer being answered, right? And that's what you said. Your joy may be full. I believe that Jesus, because every time he opened his mouth in prayer or believing or standing, healing, he was always excited because he got his prayers answered. Why are people miserable? Because prayers go unanswered. Well, I thought, you know, I tried this. All, all I'm saying is you spend some time with the Father and take a journal with you and let those desires that all of a sudden start coming to your heart and mind, jot them down. Start writing them down. Maybe it's for a business. Maybe it's for your workplace. Regardless, maybe it's for your family. Regardless of what it is, do it because that's the will of God. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. How do you actually see that? But if you start hanging on and you start, you know, hanging out with the enemy, there's some wrong desires that be birthed out of that. And that's where people, I've, I've had somebody say, yeah, well, God told me to, you know, go hang out with that individual and you're not married to them and you're hanging out and all of a sudden you're hanging with the wrong lady. That's not your wife. Well, God told me to. No, he didn't. How do I know? Because the word would never tell you to go sleep with another woman. Stupid. <laughs> What's wrong? The desire got off. I'm fellowshipping with the wrong individual. I'm hanging out with sin. I'm, maybe I'm getting trapped in, you know, in, a, in a sexual temptation. What happened? I keep getting brought there. I keep getting brought there. And what are you doing? Your, your desires become what you're seeing. We, you and I, our desires will become like the one we worship. Who do we worship? Our desires will come right from the one we worship. And I didn't finish verse 19. That was from I know him. Now I'm finishing off. For I know, have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Man, I love that. God chose him because he knew what was inside Abraham. What was in him, he knew that Abraham was going to talk to his kids about the Lord. He knew him. And so he said, I chose him because of that very reason. So this morning, all I wanted to encourage you with today, before we kind of launch off into some things going down future, I don't know what the Lord has in store. It's kind of, for me, it's been weird, because it's like a week-to-week thing right now. Lord, what do you want to say? Uh, and maybe I'm kind of overthinking it, but as I just spend time with him, just desires for, this is what we're going to talk about. But as you and I becoming a friend of God, moving from servant into friendship, because that's what God needs. God needs a friend. He needs a friend. You want to be his friend. I don't think there's any greater joy, any greater request or opportunity for a, for a human being than to be a friend of Almighty God. And what does he want to do? He wants to use you and I to accomplish his will on this earth. Not use you for his will on this earth, but to, to together, co-labor together to accomplish his will in this nation. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by purpose. It's, it's intentional. Man, that's just stirring in me. I want that so bad. So, Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Oh, Jesus, how we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, you are good. You're so faithful. You are our Savior. You are strong and true. Jesus, we ask you right now, according to Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding. 
Father, we ask you that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of you, that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light, that we would know the hope of our calling, and how rich is your glorious inheritance that you've invested in us. Father, we ask you for that. Open up our eyes to see it. Open up our ears to hear it. We speak. Father, our eyes are blessed. We see. Our ears are blessed. We hear. And Father, we expect to grow deeper in you, to have greater insight into who you are. Lord, we're not satisfied just knowing about you. We want to know you for who you really are. And we will take our seat, the seat that you've reserved for those that fear you. Because Lord, we want to know all those secrets, all that juicy stuff that's there. We want to know it all. God, we're not satisfied with just being an echo here. We have a voice to bring. We have a, a revelation to bring. We have truth to bring. And Father, we're hungry to know that from you, from your very own lips. Jesus, you pay too high of a price for us to get secondhand information. And so we're asking you and we're coming to you hungry for you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. That was helpful for y'all? Okay, good. Ready to become friends? Awesome.